Morning, ladies. This is my inaugural podcast for Women Unleashed. And what I'd like to talk about in these uh, podcasts is really about uh, various topics that touch women. I want to introduce people that really have inspired me or people who have touched me in one way or another. Um, You ladies have come into my life relatively recently um, in the last year. And um, we're working on a project together that I'm really passionate about. And so I thought, why not? Let's kick it off with this. And um, But I'd like to talk a little bit first about your background, who you are, and both of your stories really have impacted me. And um, I think it's really important to bring that up. So I'd like to know more about uh, who you are and where you came from. So and let's start with your names, right? Like, who are you and who am I? Okay, let me start with me. I am Stephanie uh, gillespie Chirac, and um, this has been a passion project of mine for a long time. So go ahead. Well, I'm Nicole Angel. I recently moved to the United States eight months ago. Um, Originally from Ohio, grew up in Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh, Married for 11 years. Unfortunately, abusive relationship. Um, Divorced now with two children and now came and ended up in Kalamazoo because of my sister. (laughs) But yeah, that's me. Marisela Alcala, and kind of the same. Nicole was two months when she moved to Mexico, and I was 10 years old, so 10 years older, um, and lived in Guadalajara for 18 years, um, finished my college education, and married my husband, and had my first child, and moved back to the U.S. in um, 2003, so was there for 18 years and have been back now for probably around 16 years and moved back to Toledo, Ohio, but recently moved to Kalamazoo five years ago for a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. Both of your stories kind of um, really, I can relate to being half Puerto Rican. uh, And so many people don't realize that about me when they first meet me. I mean, especially now that I'm a blonde, I think it totally throws people (laughs) off. I have no accent in Spanish or English. And I think that that is um, confusing to people, but uh, in truth, there's a wide variety of people in all the rest of the world, right? And so what I feel when I live here is that I'm missing something Mm -hmm. that is a piece of me there. Um, When I'm there, when I grew up there, I was um, eight to nine years old, I think, when I moved there, and I moved back to the States when I was 17. I felt the same thing there. I felt like a little bit out of place there, and so I think that intersectional conversation is a really interesting place to be, and I know it's not unique to me or my culture. It's it's a lot of people who grow up with a mixed identity, and so I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I kind of know a little bit. (laughs) I know a little bit, but why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Do you want me to? Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So um, never being able to find the right fit or that you fit in somewhere. It's um, even though you know it's your place, it's I shouldn't be here or um, I'm not a perfect fit. I'm not good enough or I'm too good. And trying to find that place where you can be able to excel and be your best self, right? So if we look at a child, we do everything we need to do as parents to put the perfect environment so they can succeed. And I feel like in some cases, like in my personal case, and I know that we've talked a lot about this, is that it took an extra effort to be able to be our best selves because 
or we were too American and we were in a country that you you think you're too good for us or you're too good for us or Mm -hmm. you're not really us or then you come here and you're not too good enough because we're Latin or Hispanic and we have different cultures and different traits and we talk differently and my my hands too much or you know so um there's always this judgment they're here and it's personally it's as I'm trying to prove myself two times more than probably the normal to be able to say yes I I am good enough I can do the work I am capable um, because off the bat it's not a given Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that that's been one of my challenges do I'm curious do you think that that is um strictly about you being Latina or do you think like the impressions that people have here or do you think that's also being a woman do you mm-hmm. think it's you know a culture thing here and we live in Michigan you know what do you think oh I definitely being a woman as well um I say it starts off by being a woman and then it kicks it off with oh and you're Latina right and there's certain traits that we have as Latinas that are not your traditional you know white community um like we tend to talk fast and we tend to talk loud and our hands tend to (laughs) move a lot and um we do come from a place of passion and I think that sometimes is very um not normal and off-putting in some situations um and it's weird so that can also definitely contribute I would say both but Mm mm-hmm how about you? You haven't been back here as an adult very long, Mm-mm. so... I've been here for seven months, and hearing about this kind of makes me mad, and I've been hearing about this since we're part of AES, mm. how you guys go through all this situation as part of being Latinas. Um, fortunately, I haven't been um, through a situation that I feel uncomfortable because of my background. Um, one of my full-time job or my main job is the domestic and violence, domestic violence and sexual assault um, organization, but I'm the Hispanic um, advocate. So I fit in. Um, everyone has been really nice to me, but mm-hmm. um, as a woman, I can feel the part of uh, not feeling the support or I feel like people um, point at you and not being capable to like being a single mom. You're not going to be able to do it all. Do it all, exactly. Mm. You're not going to be able to get through this. Mm-hmm. And the fear of losing something or the fear of um, not being able to take my kids, sacarlos adelante, and mm-hmm. um, pagar una renta, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's how I speak kind of Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spanglish. But Spanglish. But whatever um, the challenges are to raise kids as a single mom, um, society thinks that you're not going to be able to and fear comes to me so um I actually told you about this not too long ago I had to go to therapy and do my budget five times a time because sorry five times a day because um being a single mom you're so worried yeah it makes you scared about not being able to get through it um and I just feel like it's out there oh you do it all on your own are you able to do that? Can you really do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? Just because I'm a woman, if I was a man, would I be able to do it without questioning? So do you feel that, um, you know, and I, I sense that uh, 
I think that that a little bit has to do with the culture again that, that maybe we all come from. And you're Mexican American, or Mexican American, right? Your mom yes. was right, mm-hmm. and then I'm um, Puerto Rican American um, and Irish actually. So I'm a, a big ball of fire. <laughs> and so, in in your culture, though, how do you think the machista or the the oh. male dominating society? Where in Puerto Rico, I think it depends on your family. In my family, it wasn't necessarily. Yes, there are some male dominating sides in the Puerto Rican side, but not all of them. The women were, I would say, very strong willed. Um, and same on the on my American side, I had some really great, strong women role models, which mm-hmm. probably is why I'm outspoken and not afraid of that. But I'm curious to know about that in your life um, and your makeup, how that impacted you. Yeah. So um, do you want me to start or do you want to go ahead? Um, just real quick, that's part of what I was saying. So I was told by a macho man that I wasn't going to be able to survive or even eat without the help of a man behind me. So, yeah, that's part of it. That and was. I don't know if it's a macho mexicano uh-huh. or just in general the male figure, um, but yeah, it it was part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that in the generation that I grew up in when I was in Mexico, that it's definitely it's a factor, and um, I could say that women in the country I grew up in are oppressed for most, right? Because there is a lot of judgment that if you act a certain way, you do, you make certain decisions, you're, you're classified and, and it's really hard to not own your, take your own identity because of the social pressures around you. Um, you know, I, I make a joke and I, I love my dad to death, but the running theme was, you go to school, you graduate, you get married, and you have kids. And I would graduate. He said, okay, now you can get married. And then I got married. And, okay, now you can have kids. I mean, it, it, it was just mm. that type of, and in my mind at that time, that's what I had to do because that was, was not only did my dad expect it from me, but the society was expecting it from me. And then you move to a country <laughs> where a lot of us women that are um, coming from, um, our countries mm-hmm. are coming with those beliefs and thoughts and then it's hard because then you realize oh I can be independent I can raise a family I can pay my bills um, but there's still you're it's not a matter of just getting out of the box and doing it there's you know we, I'm in the mental yeah. health field we talk a lot about traumas there's a lot of traumas that comes with that and being able to take care of yourself, to be able to take care of your family, it's an extra burden. Um, so being able to overcome that is really hard. And, you know, I know AES, the um, Empowering Latina Leaders for Advocates for Success, we were starting to have the conversation about AES. We'll still today have the conversation, right, where people are like, well, what about men? And I'm the first one to say, <laughs> no men. Not right now. They don't Maybe. need more empowerment. <laughs> You know, you know, and that's funny. We have had this discussion. So AES is the organization that brought us together, right? Yeah, right? That's the organization that we're, I guess it's an organization. What are we calling it? A it's program? a program. It's a program. It's a program of uh, Latino women in Southwest Michigan, mostly in Kalamazoo, 
who are coming together and trying to develop leadership and, and skills and honestly just get us out more visible into the community to be able to have these conversations, right? Very verbal conversations like this and um, show our value and our worth, but also um, just be embedded a little bit more, more overtly, I guess. Um, but in that conversation, that very thing, I'm on the other end where I'm kind of arguing that I think men and um, other other ethnicities, other different things, we all need to be kind of building a bridge and being more of a advocate for each other mm-hmm. and more of a ally, I suppose, is the language that everybody's using right now, right? But I do think there's value to that, that without having the conversation, we're not necessarily having um, the... Uh, we're not going to get the, the, the level of attention that we need or the advocacy that we need. Now, from are we here to develop men into leaders? I think maybe young men, um, but not necessarily. Yeah, we're, we're trying to really develop the, the generation of leadership um, in the Latinas in the community here, right? Yeah. That's the main thing that we're arguing. So for, um, you know, just not to dive too deep into all of this because um, we have a short show here but in your background what what brought you here um, and what brought you here and then tell me a little bit about what the work you do today and how that's impacted you because I, st- I see both of you as actually very strong women so I'm curious to know with that um, impact of men kind of being a machista society that you grew up in even in your own house that sounds a little bit um, how did you kind of realize your own strength and your own worth well, I um, ended up here in Kalamazoo because she's here, and um, I know she would be like a big support to start from the bottom. Um, but decided to move back from Mexico uh, because of the same thing: divorce, being close to this person, my ex-husband, uh, was very complicated for me trying to raise my kids. Yeah, yeah. So I thought. Being close to family was one factor, one of the more importance, but putting that, to, like, earth, tierra, tierra. between mm-hmm. um, both of us was going to be helpful, and it has. Um, of course, professional and financial opportunities in Mexico are not the same for a single mom, hmm. because it was getting kind of hard. Um, now, I started with her at Griffin Place as a crisis worker. No, I started as a, a facilitator in the restorative justice program in schools. I was a teacher in Mexico for 13 years. So I started there, but then I got this job at um, a domestic violence and sexual assault services as an advocate. Mm-hmm. I feel passionate about what I do just because of my background. I love helping victims of domestic violence. Um, sometimes it's kind of hard because I'm like, do you want me to go kick his butt right now? (laughs) (laughs) And I can't, but I love what I do. I just love it. And, um, and that's it. I mean, I still work at Griffin Place as a crisis worker and a resource, um, specialist taking, uh, 211 calls, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So when I, I came, my husband and I um, had our own business, and we, we did a lot of importing, exporting, I'm sorry, exporting to the U.S. and um, other countries with arts and crafts. And after 9-11, we were in the middle of building our home in um, 
our country just like closed down shop because nobody was exporting anywhere because of the fear of what would happen to the merchandise. So we came to Toledo with a job promise with a family member at a a Mexican restaurant. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in information systems and business, like we talked earlier. And um, so my my experience was really, I was my dad's um, like general manager. I did his bookkeeping, I did his marketing, I did his sales, his HR, everything, and then running our own business. And when I came to, to the U.S., we were only here for a period of time until we could figure out what we were going to do and we were going to hopefully go back, and that never happened. But when I came here, we realized, I found out I was pregnant, actually. I arrived here in May, and June I find out I'm pregnant with my second son, and we decide to stay for a while and to be forever. But when I was looking for a job, not, nobody would hire me. And what I would hear is that you have no experience in the U.S. Because I'm sure in the U.S. you count numbers differently than in Mexico. But for whatever reason, I was not good enough. And um, so I was ended up, I was in a Red Lobster in the kitchen. You know, I was a server at seven months pregnant. I I could not find a job. Um, And randomly, I, I took my son to the enrollment for early education. And there was, they sent me to the Latina day. I must have put down I was Latina. And there was like 100 women that did not speak English. And one woman, she was from the Republica Dominicana, Celeste, loved her to death. And I saw the poor woman trying to translate for these 100 ladies. And I said, do you want me to help? And she's like, yes, please. So I translated and I said, are you guys hiring? And she mm-hmm. said, come back. So I ended up working for early ad for about a year. But she got me to go to a Latino nonprofit organization. It was called Adelante as a receptionist, um, doing some of the administrative work that I knew how to do, but ended up doing case management and then moved to a United Way. And I, since then, knew I would never go back to for-profit. I knew how hard it was for me speaking the language, and I was educated. And I, I was on WIC, I was on food stamps, I was on all this, because nobody would hire me. And I'm a, I'm a CEO right now, so I was a pretty capable and knowledgeable person, but nobody would hire me which created a lot of traumas and 10 years later of feeling not confident in my job and doing a really good job at what I did, um, but not being able to speak up for myself. But I did realize when I was at Adelante and I was doing the case management for this family, it's very similar to what Nicole is saying, is I knew how hard it was to navigate the systems with my, my two kids and being in a new country for me because I had never really lived here as an adult. Um, and I had the opportunity to help these Latino families to connect to that because it would have been 10 times harder if I wouldn't have connected them to the case management mm-hmm. or to the service. And that's when I realized it's, and I, I know this is my um, promise because we talk about promises, that it was mi deber de um, ayudar. So it was, my, it was my obligation to help my mm-hmm. community. And I did that. I'm, I'm doing that now through many different, you know, I was with United Way, now I'm with Griffin Place. Um, but wherever I am, I'm always looking for helping the community because I, I personally knew how hard it was. And I know that not everybody has the advantages and the privileges that I have when I moved to this country. So um, that's why I ended up in nonprofit. And then personally, we we had a... a, um, a a loss of suicide in our family and that's when I was working with an information referral system and my that happened as my call specialists were taking suicidal calls and I became very intrigued to learning why do people die by suicide Mm -hmm. and 
that was actually a healing process for me and understanding um, what happened. Somebody in your family, right? Yeah. And yeah. So um, then I, you know, when I was with my previous Mm two-on-one center, my dream was that I wish our our center would have the crisis aspect and the information referral, and that wasn't possible. So when I learned about Griffin Place and learned how that it had that blended aspect. Um, it was just touched my heart and it's something I wanted to be part of. So just just for everybody else, explain a little bit what that means specifically, because I think a lot of people don't understand that there are call centers that would split that out. So what yeah. are you what are you describing there? Yep. So in, in our case um, here at Griffin Place and in Kalamazoo, we have the two-on-one line where anybody who is in any type of need, it could be the fact that they don't know how to pay the rent, need some food and groceries for the week, or they're struggling with their child because they don't know if they're going to be able to graduate from high school because they're struggling with their classes. Mm -hmm. Um, They can dial this three-digit number, 211, and they can get connected. We have a database of resources, but we have people that speak to you and talk to you about the issues and help you navigate a system to access these resources. And then there's another group of individuals that are just emotionally struggling with their own it could be mental health um, that they're struggling with. It could be that they're facing some sort of um, life challenge that at that point in time, they're just at their ends. Like they can't mm-hmm. deal with this anymore. Right. And our line is really to help listen and just help that person understand that when somebody does care for them and how can they find that help and that mental health support to be able to get to a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's two different, right? One is more of understanding how to navigate a system and that the other one is the emotional support, which really most times those both come blended, Correlate. right? Because mm-hmm. if I know I'm going to be evicted on the 30th, which Nicole oh has in her first crisis call is the gentleman was going to kill himself on the 30th. And then he finally said, that's when my wow. rent is due, right? So they do intertwined. And so in my previous center, we didn't have the crisis aspect. You get those calls and it's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Rather than having that um, the It was experience. a 45 minute call where I was, I was keeping myself together, but at the same time, I was I was getting ready to lose it because it was my first crisis call, yeah. and it was an actual suicide call. Yeah. Um, and after 45 minutes of trying to cope with him, talk him out of, because he told me his plan, he told me everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, he finally told me that he was going to kill himself. He, himself, he gave me, gave me a date, and it was a date he had to pay his rent. So then I asked did you know there is a hotline where you can call and ask for resources to help you with your rent? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I didn't know about that. So we immediately um, transferred him to the 211. And we were in the same contact center. A coworker took his call and gave him all the resources. So hopefully, I mean, we can't know what happens after that, but mm. hopefully we saved a life by right. give him, giving him that information. Yeah, it's super impactful work. And you've recently moved into kind of some other sexual assault stuff. What what organization are you working for now that you moved into that? Yeah, it's called DAZA's Domestic Abuse and Sexual Assault Services. Um, we provide free services to victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. We have a shelter, but we help... Um, navigating the system, like filing for a divorce, PPOs. Um, we have a therapist and a sexual assault, especially for sexual assault therapists. Mm. So what I do is that I have my clients. Most of them are Hispanic. 
Um, but like if they're afraid of leaving their home because um, the assailant's still, they, still there, mm -hmm. we try to keep them safe while they're still going through the process of filing for a divorce or mm. um, trying to get stuff out of their homes or if they need some uh, safe place to go, we take them to shelter. We do a lot of stuff. So we try to help them get away from that relationship without putting themselves in mm -hmm. danger. But it's pretty nice Yeah, what we can do for them. What are the contact centers for both of these? I mean, it's 211 for Griffin Place, right? That number you can call and get both Griffin Place and 211 help, right? What about for your uh, organization? How do, do you get help? We do have a hotline. I don't have it here with me. Okay, we'll put it up later. It's, it's an 800 number. Yeah. I'll put it up in the information. Mm -hmm. Great. It's 24-7. Well, let's talk about the... Um, Yes, organization and what we're trying to do here with that we have an upcoming dead deadline and so that's part of why we're having this conversation right now so um who wants to speak on that she can do it <laughs> <laughs> so you know a lot of the conversations that we're having today happened over a year ago with um different latinas in the community in the kalamazoo area and you know everybody phased in and phased out at different times we would just say hey friday night let's get together for dinner um, or for drinks and um, just talking about we want to do something we want we going back to El Deber right there we these are women that feel that they're we need want to give a contribution to our community we just didn't know how mm -hmm. and we wanted to be very strategic in the way we do because we are very smart and, and we wanted to do this in a way that we knew we were going to be impactful so um, we started to focus on women I mean again same, same conversations and how could we um, bring um, and empower ourselves but culturally based mm -hmm. and not losing who we are because you know we all go through these mainstream leadership programs and it, it puts you in a box and and that's where it starts to feel weird and we start to feel uncomfortable and am I doing a good job as a leader because I'm different from mm -hmm. that other leader right? right right and so understanding and kind of um, embracing our culture and our leadership so um, we've had the opportunity thanks to the Kalamazoo Community Foundation to connect with some really amazing people that have done work all over the country and other places um, that have provided us with that leadership and developing a program that's going to be so I'm just so excited by yeah. what's going to because I've we've been able to experience you know mm -hmm. um, Luz Benitez and I got to experience Juana Bordas and um, so their contribution and what, what we're bringing is going to be outstanding and amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a six-month program. And, and Esther Nevis, too. We also Esther Nevis, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 that's true. Um, so, yeah, I know these amazing women. And, and the, the amount of women that are about to come through mm -hmm. the program is going to be so exciting. So. Yeah, so we have a program coming up right now. There's an application out there on, uh, we have a couple of websites, but let's say ajsmichigan.org mm -hmm. um, because there's more than one AJS. Mm -hmm. So AJS is E-L-L-A-S, uh, michigan.org. And you could go there today. You could see the application. It's actually not that complicated. We're really looking for other women in the community who are looking to um, advance their leadership skills and develop them over the six months program. There are specific dates that we'd uh, like you to attend as much as possible. The cost is $100, but... We have scholarships, we so have. I wouldn't, anybody if it's for money, I wouldn't stop yourself from Don't applying. Don't stop yourself from applying, or even on the dates. I think the dates, yes, we would like you to be there, and they, they kind of are firm, but uh, we can probably be flexible a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, 
So those are the main things. Please apply. The deadline is um, the March, tw March 24th. March 24th. So it's coming up quick here. So that's why we're going to try to get this out as soon as possible. Um, but please, if you know somebody in the community who you think would be interested in this, share it out. Um, I, we plan on posting this on a couple places. So please do uh, share out this information. And thank you, ladies. Thanks thank so you, much. Thank and you. hopefully this isn't the last time. Yeah. and that we get together and have this conversation and keep having other conversations um enjoy your mezcal thank Gracias. you <laughs> salud, salud. <laughs> and thanks for joining us on uh, women unleashed it's um i'm gonna try this little symbol here but it's women unleashed <laughs> so i hope that you uh you join us for another podcast at another time and that mezcal was rough on my <laughs> it's a little rough. <laughs> Did you down the whole thing? I just took yeah. a sip. No. <laughs> just scratch a little. Anyway. <laughs> Gracias, señorita. Gracias. Thank you.